0: Is taken from the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 18. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve but the gods which your fathers served that were in the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord, our God, He it is that brought us up in our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did... Those great signs in our sight preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove them out from before us, all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God.
1: Good evening. It is a pleasure to once again be able to come and worship the Lord, and we are thankful for the providence of God that has brought us safely here, and allowing us to come together to see one another and to encourage one another to visit, and to worship the Lord, the God of heaven, our Creator, and Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful for your interest in spiritual things and your desire to come and learn more from the Word of God this evening. The book of Joshua comes on the heels of the Pentateuch. And we have been studying the Pentateuch in our adult class. We we just finished up a study of it for uh, the past few quarters. But the book of Joshua really continues that story after you read from Genesis to Deuteronomy The rest of it it continues on, and the book of Joshua continues that story of Israel leaving the land of Egypt and finally coming to inherit the promised land. And after some of the more challenging details of the law that you might find in the book of Leviticus or in the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy... The book of Joshua is really exciting. and It's exhilarating. There's a lot that happens. It's very action-packed. There are battles and successes. There are failures, mistakes, and sin that must be overcome. There are heroes of faith that we read about in the book of Joshua. And so we come to, to see all of this play out here in the book of Joshua. And at the very close of the book, we have Joshua imploring the people of Israel to choose to serve God to be faithful to him and you think about that choice and we know the statement very well in Joshua chapter 24 in verse 15 when Joshua said if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord choose for yourselves today whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see that great decision that Joshua makes and we praise him for that decision. For leading and stepping out and having the courage to say to Israel, you need to choose. It's decision time. And it's time to choose to serve the Lord. And for me, but no matter what you choose, you see him say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve God. And you might think that's a very nice ending to Joshua's life. And it has a very important place in his life and as a leader in Israel. But I would submit to you that you get to this last speech of Joshua in the book of Joshua, and it's a very fitting end to the whole book because the beginning of the book, it takes place where Moses has just died. Joshua is assuming his leadership role, and he's encouraged to be strong and very courageous to lead the children of Israel in accordance to the law of Moses. That they are not to depart from it, to look to the left or to the right, but that they are to remain focused and steadfast. And that's a decision for Joshua that he has to make. And now at the close of the book of Joshua, he has made his decision. Now it is time for Israel to follow suit. They have to make a decision. And while in many ways the book of Joshua is about the children of Israel, It is about how Israel stumbles. It's about how Israel succeeds. It is also, I would submit to you, and even more so, a story about God. It's a story about how God accomplishes His purposes through the children of Israel. How God has remained faithful and steadfast in spite of what Israel has done. That the story of God, how it is not just a story of how Israel crossed the Jordan River. It's a story of how God divided the sea for them to be able to cross. It's not just a story of how Israel marched around the walls of Jericho. It's a story of how God gave the city of Jericho into Israel's hand. It's not just how they divided the land and conquered it or and divided it up amongst the tribes of Israel. It's a story of how God is faithful to keep his promises. And so we can see that as if we are reading the book of Joshua, I believe, correctly, then we're going to see that this is really a story about God, and that this is going to help us understand God better. We're going to see some things about the Lord that maybe are a little bit unique that we have not come to emphasize throughout the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but that we have seen it in other places throughout. And now we are being reminded of these things. And just as Israel was being given this choice at the end of Joshua's life where he says, you need to choose for yourselves... Today, whom you will serve. We are also going to have to make the same choice based upon the same scriptures that we find out more about God throughout this book. And so, let's take a tour through the book of Joshua this evening to learn that if we are going to be able to make the same kind of decision that Joshua did, where we could say and decide, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What we first learn about God is that God is faithful. That God is faithful to fulfill His Word and His promises. Going all the way back to the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, you'll remember that God spoke to a man named Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, when God spoke and appeared to Abram, He told him in verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give... This land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And as you continue on through Abraham's life in the book of Genesis, we learn a little bit more and more in detail about what God was going to do and the portion of the land that God was going to give to him. If you just go over to a few chapters to Genesis chapter 15, in Genesis the 15th chapter, and in verse 18. In Genesis chapter 15 and in verse 18, it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenazite and the Kadamite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. All those ites that are in there. The Canaanites... He says, God is telling Abram to your descendants, I'm going to give this land. God has been making that promise. He made it to Israel. He made it to Abraham. He made it to Abraham's descendants. And what you see is that in the book of Joshua, that finally becomes a reality. Yet, in the book of Numbers, Perhaps you'll remember in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 that the children of Israel were right there. They were on the doorstep, if you will, of being able to go into the promised land and they choose to not go in. They are unfaithful. And they are afraid. They give in to fear. And they say, we can't take the land. That there are giants in the land and we're just like grasshoppers. That we could not take the land. And it's Joshua and Caleb who say, yes, we can take this land. Not because they were so powerful, but because they trusted in God. They believed in God and His Word and His promises. And Israel almost gave up on the promised land entirely. They, If they had had their way, they would have said, See you later. We're going back to Egypt. Time and time again they would have made that choice. Nevertheless, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness as a punishment of their disbelief, God took care of the children of Israel. He brought them into the land, and that is what if there is something that the book of Joshua is about, it is about God fulfilling his promise and his word in Joshua chapter 21 near nearing the end of the book in Joshua chapter 21 and in verse 45 notice what the author says it says not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed all came to pass that God completed his word and completed his promise you can trust what God is going to do because when he says he's going to do something he does it. in chapter 23 in chapter 23 and in verse 14 in chapter 23 and in verse 14 now behold today i'm going the way of all the earth and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the lord your god spoke concerning you has failed All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. As Joshua is nearing the close of his life, he realizes that God has been absolutely and totally faithful to the promises that God has made. All the way back in the book of Genesis to Abraham, many centuries before. Abraham's descendants were a great nation now who dwelled in the land of promise. God had been faithful to His promises to Abraham. We see God's faithfulness highlighted throughout the book of of Joshua, but there's also something else that we see about God and His Word and His faithfulness. is that God fulfilled His promise to judge the wicked Canaanite tribes. If you turn back with me to Genesis chapter 15, just before God had explicitly told Abraham the territory that he would his descendants would be given. Just before that, in Genesis chapter 15 and in verse 16, God told Abraham that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land. They would be slaves. And God was going to bring them out of that land with many possessions. And then he says in verse 16, Then in the fourth generation they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. That God was laying this foundation here. He was planting this seed and He was speaking as a prophet really to Abraham, that the Amorites, this wicked Canaanite tribe that lived in the land of Canaan, they were wicked. And God was going to use Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel, as a tool or an instrument to judge the wicked nation. As you continue on in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, in Deuteronomy the 9th chapter, as Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and in verse 4, Moses, he is preparing the children of Israel to go into the land. And he says in verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 9, Do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. So Moses, he's giving the children of Israel a reality check here. Don't think that as you go into the land it's because of how good you are. It's in reality how bad these other nations are. He says in verse 5, It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you see as in the book of Joshua that as Joshua led the children of Israel into Canaan and they began to conquer the land It was a punishment for the people who were living in the land. It was God's method and way of judging them for their wickedness. That their sin and their idolatry had come as an offense before God. And God was no longer tolerating it. That their extreme wickedness, their ungodliness, their idolatry that was in the land, God was saying it's enough. I'm done with it. And so Joshua and the children of Israel, they came in, they conquered the land of Canaan. Not because of their own greatness. Not because of their own uprightness and righteousness. But because God had sworn to Abraham and made an oath and a promise. God was faithful to that. But also because of the wickedness of the people who were living there. God was not turning His back on the great wickedness that was there. So we see that God is fulfilling His work. He fulfills His promises. God is faithful to do what He says. And I can't help but think that as Israel witnessed God's power in His acts, throughout the book of Joshua, and we'll talk some more about some of the things that he does. But as they were seeing Joshua, that he began to take on this leadership role in Israel, following Moses, following uh, the great leader that Moses was, Joshua, before them, is actually becoming a type of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to think about some of the comparisons between Joshua and Jesus. Joshua in Hebrew is the equivalent of the Greek name Jesus and both mean Yahweh is salvation. Joshua and Jesus share the same name in Hebrew. And just as Joshua followed Moses in leading Israel, Jesus in the law of Christ followed the, God, the law of Moses. And just as Joshua was the captain and the commander in Israel, Jesus is our captain. He is our leader in battle. He is the captain of our salvation as the Hebrew writer puts it in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 as the Hebrew writer is talk, talking about Christ and describing him In Hebrews 2 and verse 10, for it was fitting for Him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. That this author of our salvation or the captain of our salvation, He is the one who leads. Jesus is. There's a lot of contrast and comparisons that we can make between Joshua and Jesus. But as we see what God is doing here. He is giving a type, a prototype of the one who is to come. And as God is fulfilling his promises, he's not neglecting the one who is to come that's going to bring salvation and blessing to all families of the earth. Joshua is a type of what God is going to continue to do through Israel. And so as we read the book of Joshua, as we study it, we need to realize that this is giving us a lot of confidence in who God is. That God will do what He says. There's still even more to learn about God. We see God's majesty in the book of Joshua. Just some of the fascinating things that occur in the book of Joshua is in... Chapter 3, when the children of Israel come into the promised land, Israel crosses the Jordan River. In chapter 3, you can read of that occasion. And just as God had, when they were leaving Egypt, and He caused the Red Sea to part, And the children of Israel were able to cross the Red Sea on dry ground. When the children of Israel come into the Promised Land, it is the same kind of welcoming as their exit out of Egypt. That the children of Israel were able to cross. Over on dry ground in Joshua chapter 3 and in verse 17, it says And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. There are moments in the Bible that I just wish I had had a front row seat to and the crossing of the red sea is definitely one of them and this is a second close a second for that just being able to imagine water being divided it's impossible for me to really imagine how that would have been and how that would have occurred and then to be able to cross on dry ground to be able to do that It had to come from God, a powerful and supreme, sovereign God that rules and has power, that's complete power and control over His creation. And if that's not amazing enough, you continue on in the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 6, when the children of Israel come to the city of Jericho, And notice what Joshua is told in Joshua chapter 6 and in verse 1. If you will begin reading there with me in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people will go up every man straight ahead. The marching orders for Israel that God was giving to, to, to Joshua. Here's the greatest campaign strategy for any warrior, right? Here's what you're going to do, Joshua. Joshua. You're going to take a week. You're just going to march around the walls of that city. One time per day. One time per day for six days. On the seventh day, you're going to go around it seven times. And guess what? As a result of that, you're going to then start cheering. You're going to uh, blow the horns. And then the walls are going to come down. What a battle strategy, right? They don't have to do anything other than go around the city. Because it's not about their know how in terms of strategy, it's about the God whom they serve. And it's about what God is going to do. God is the one who is going to cause the city walls to come down. You see God's authority on full display. But what might be even more amazing is as the children of Israel are engaged in battle against five kings that are attacking others that the children of Israel have aligned themselves with in Joshua chapter 10. In Joshua chapter 10 and in verse 12, as Joshua feels that the battle is nearly won, and if they just have a little bit more time, then they can do it. In Joshua chapter 10 and verse 12, it says, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day, when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Aijalon." So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jeshar? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. There was no day like that before it or after it when the Lord listened to the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. What an amazing event. That Joshua makes this plea with God. This prayer that caused the sun to stand still and it stood still. That could only be accomplished by an all-powerful God who created this world. And I really, sometimes I feel very sad and, and sorry for people who don't believe in God. They might look at this text in Joshua chapter 10, they might laugh at it. They might scoff at this whole idea, but you believe the sun really stood still for all day? Absolutely I do. Because I believe that God created all of this that we see, all this creation, all the universe, just by speaking it into existence. In six days. This was nothing compared to that if God can speak it into existence, then He can certainly stop time and keep the sun there for a few extra hours. God's majesty is in full display. And what they were able to see was that there was no day that was like it before or after it. And the Lord fought for Israel that becomes very evident that God, in all these incredible acts, only they could have been achieved by the Lord. So you see God's faithfulness, you see God's majesty and His power, you also see God's grace. If there is a book in the Bible that shows the grace of God, it's probably not the book of Joshua that you would turn to. At least thinking about it uh, very initially. Yet, I can think of no better book to talk about God's grace. As we noted in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 9 and verses 4 and 5, Moses told the children of Israel that it's not by your greatness, your uprightness and your own righteousness that you're going into the promised land. It's because of the exceeding wickedness of the people that are there. That's why you are going into the promised land. And just notice in Joshua chapter 6, notice what God tells Joshua. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given. Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. This is before anything has ever been done to go against the city of Jericho. And what does God say? I have given this to you. Grace is God's gift. Undeserved. Unearned. And God is telling Joshua, the city is yours. Israel can't get cocky. (laughs) Because God is the one who's giving them the land. It's a gift by God's grace. You continue on at the close of the book in Joshua chapter 23. In Joshua chapter 23, and in verse 9, in this farewell address that Joshua is giving the children of Israel in verse 9 of chapter 23, Joshua says, For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you. And as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand, for the Lord your God is He who fights for you just as as he promised you. Their success was not because of themselves. Their success was because of God's provision. That God was the one who was fighting for them. And it was because it was God who was driving out their enemies. God told them repeatedly that he had given them the land, he had given them the city. It's by God's grace that the children of Israel were able to take the promised land. But we also learn faith works in cooperation with God's grace. And that's what is so amazing about the book of Joshua is that you see God's grace and you also see faith on the part of people who are trusting in God. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, in that great chapter on heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The Hebrew writer, he says in verse 30 of Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. That even though God had already told Joshua, I have given you the city, it still required faith on the part of Israel to go and do what God says. Faith works with God's grace. That's what the Apostle Paul tries to help us understand about our salvation in Ephesians chapter two and in verse eight in the book of Ephesians in chapter two and verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a, a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That what we see rooted in the book of Joshua is that lesson that God makes a promise He offers something to us that we did not deserve, that we would not have earned or anything on our own. And yet, He still tells us some things that we must do. And we need to do those things by faith. Trusting in God and His ability to save and to give and to fulfill His Word and His promises. Faith works with God's grace And that we see this important principle in our salvation. That we believe in God. We trust in His Word. We believe in His grace. We see that He has given us His Son as the sacrifice for sin. And so when God expects us to repent and turn from our sins or to confess faith in Jesus Christ or to be baptized in water, we can't say that we saved ourselves we can say that we are acting in faith just like the children of Israel did when they encircled the city of Jericho for seven days. But something else that we see about God's grace is that while God was providing for the children of Israel, God's grace was not limited to the children of Israel. Early in the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 2, in Joshua chapter 2, we learn that Joshua sent spies to go spy out the city of Jericho. In Joshua chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from Shuddam, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have Entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which he had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. As we continue on in that chapter, we learn that Rahab helped the spies go out. Rahab was a harlot. We have... Here, perhaps, how would you like to be defined by one sin that you've committed? And that's how the Bible presents Rahab Rahab the harlot. Think of people who are described by what they do bozo, the clown, you know, Rahab the harlot. Rahab was a Canaanite. She was not an Israelite. And the spies, they make a promise to Rahab that when they come, if she would have a scarlet <clears throat> rope. Out her window that they would save her when they came against the city of Jericho. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we see that Rahab the harlot was commended for her faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 31, By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. She was acting by faith. She had heard about God. She had heard about God's power. She had heard about the children of Israel. And... In chapter 2 of the book of Joshua, in verse 9, she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were before beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Here is a Gentile Canaanite woman and she is coming to recognize who God is. And as James would tell us in James chapter 2 and in verse 25, as James has been talking about faith and works and Abraham, he says, in the same way was not eight Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. What you see is that God's grace, God's salvation, is made available to anyone who will believe in Him and act in faith accordingly. The book of Joshua is a wonderful book that shows us God's faithfulness, His majesty, and His grace. So, what are we going to do about it now? It's no wonder that as you come to the close of the book of Joshua that Joshua makes this presentation, this plea with the children of Israel to be faithful, to choose this day whom you will serve. Whether it's the idols of the land or are you going to serve the Lord? And Joshua, he warned about divided allegiances. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He is pleading with them to not serve the idols that they served in Egypt and that they... Serve beyond the Euphrates. Serve God. Nearing the end of that speech in verse 20, he says, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. That you know God, they have seen his power, they have seen his majesty. They have seen the waters of the Jordan parted where they were able to cross on dry ground. They have seen the walls of Jericho fall. They have seen the sun stand still. They have seen that no one was able to stop them. They have seen all the good that God has done. So why would they even be tempted to follow idols? But Joshua is warning about a divided allegiance. And they chose that day to serve God. In verse 16, the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. At the end, in verse 21, the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. The people made their choice. Now, they did not always act in accordance with that choice. Which Joshua and Moses prior said, You are a witness against yourself, and heaven and earth are going to be a witness against you. And if you do not do as the covenant requires, God is going to punish you. There are requirements. As you come to the close of the book, Joshua, nearing the end of his life, he wants the children of Israel to be faithful. He's pleading with them to give themselves completely and wholeheartedly to God. The question is still valid for us today. The decision that they made is one that we still have to make. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God completely, wholeheartedly, in devotion? Because the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ, He has told us that we must surrender our whole heart to God. In Matthew chapter 22, in Matthew the 22nd chapter and in verse 37, as Jesus was being asked a question about what is the great commandment in the law, and Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. There's no room for a divided allegiance. You have to give yourself completely to God. And we must choose to lay aside any hindrance The Hebrew writer makes this very clear in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, at the close of that great chapter of faith with people like Rahab, the harlot, and the children of Israel who acted in faith when they were doing well. In Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse 1, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, all those heroes of faith surrounding us, let us also lay aside It's decision time. Just as Joshua came to realize, after looking through the book of Joshua and learning more about who God is and His great power, His faithfulness, and His grace, Joshua wanted the children of Israel to make the decision to serve God. Tonight, tonight, If Joshua were here before us, I think he'd say the same thing. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God completely? Are you going to look to Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, laying aside every distraction, every sin, every hindrance, So that the hope of heaven can be yours, and so that you can be victorious through Jesus Christ. Who are you going to serve? You can serve God, or you can serve your own idols of greed and covetousness, wickedness, and sin. What will your choice be? The book of Joshua gives you every reason to choose to serve God because we see his faithfulness, we see his majesty we see His grace. We see a picture of salvation. And if you will act obediently and in faith in coming to him, we can learn that we have the hope of eternal life in heaven. Tonight, what is your choice? Will you make the choice to serve the Lord? We're here to help you and encourage you in whatever way you possibly need. If we can be of any assistance, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?